Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Diva Behavior, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Molshine, as always. This week, we are talking about, I would say, this century's first true diva. I think that's fair. I think Mariah Carey is the celebrity who epitomizes being a modern-day diva more than any other living celebrity right now. Of course, the word diva has so many different meanings. You know, it started as a Latin word for goddess, and then it became a word to describe opera singers in Italy. It also started to mean prima donna and demanding. It started to have a connotation of somebody who has aspirations and demands that are above what other people perceive to be and what the establishment perceives to be her station in life. Diva is a really, really loaded term. That's why I have this podcast to talk about what it means to be a diva and what it means when we call someone else a diva, whether it's to lift them up or in a disparaging way. Now, Mariah Carey has been called a diva in a disparaging way and in order to lift her up. She's a diva in the sense that she is a powerful singer who is incredibly famous and she also has a reputation as a diva in that she has you know an almost cartoonish proclivity for luxury and she revels in fancy things and having only the best and wearing high heels and demanding everything that she wants in life now the reason why this bothers people is because of racism classism and anxiety around women who work i know we all think that we're past that But if you look at which women get called divas and which men get called divas, because it does happen to men sometimes too, but if you look at who gets called a diva, it's always somebody who's occupying a station in life that they were not born into and had to work their way into and that the establishment thinks deep down they don't deserve. So when people see someone like Mariah Carey who is biracial and was born to a working class family living in this giant penthouse in Tribeca with every pair of shoes you could ever possibly want, it might rub them the wrong way if they're a little racist or a little classist or a little sexist. But, of course, in polite society, they can't say, oh, she doesn't deserve this because of the way she was born, or she doesn't deserve this because of her gender or her class or her race. They know that they can't say that. So what they do is call her a diva, and they call her demanding, and they imply that she doesn't deserve all of this stuff because she worked her way up. So when diva is a term that's used to disparage people, it's a dog whistle for some pretty messed up mindsets. But then on the other hand, you have people like Mariah Carey using the term diva to lift themselves up and owning the term and saying, yes, I did work hard and I do deserve this. Mariah, during the press cycle for this book, She answered questions from people about the word diva. She said, I am high maintenance because I deserve to be at this point. That may sound arrogant, but I hope you frame it within the context of coming from nothing. If I can't be high maintenance after working my entire life, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we had to all be low maintenance. I was always high maintenance. It's just that I didn't have anyone to do the maintenance when I was growing up. And the writer said she said that and cackled with delight. We should all thank her because, let's be real, she's one of the most entertaining people alive. Speaking of entertaining people, my guest this week is Joe Gunn. Joe Gunn 
is the architect of my most favorite memes on the internet. I'm sure you've seen them being passed around. Joe's memes are usually centered around the Real Housewives of various cities. Joe is an old-time friend of the pod. We actually did another episode on Mariah Carey around this time last year in honor of Christmas. So follow Joe on Instagram and Twitter at JoeGun90. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly Molshine. Please subscribe to Diva Behavior if you enjoy this episode. Send it to someone else who would enjoy it. And the coolest thing you could do would be to leave me a nice rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people hear the podcast. And I just can't stand the thought of mine and Joe's brilliant thoughts going to waste because we have such great things to say about Mariah, about her book, which is a New York Times number one bestseller. So please enjoy the pod. Some people think Diva is a diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. (laughs) Of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm back with Joe Gunn, who is returning to talk about Mariah Carey once more. Thank you, Joe. Hello. Hello, DB listeners. Um, It's me. I'm back. I'm no longer a podcast um, virgin, I guess. Um, So hopefully I'll be a bit more uh, bearable this time. And I know a little bit more information about Mariah Carey. So um, let's go. (laughs) You were amazing last time, though. I loved you last time. It was great. And you're not a podcast virgin because you have your own podcast now. I do. It's uh, it's 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 still there. It's all there. It's just waiting for me to uh, pay attention to it. <laughs> so, but there is uh, a handful of episodes up that I recorded earlier in the year, and it's fun. And Molly is a guest, so maybe start there. What was, I guess, the first thing that really surprised you in this book, where you were like, "Whoa, I had no idea." Definitely the extent of the abuse that she endured, Mariah Carey endured in her childhood. Um, I definitely knew, um, and we already established last time I was on the episode, I'm a lamb. Let's, don't get it twisted. I am part of the lamely. But I, it's not a, a Britney Spears level where I, I know the ins and outs of most of her, um, her personal life and her history. But this was a real education for me because I did know that uh, she had... Um, an abusive relationship um, but I didn't really know anything about her childhood like occasionally it would pop up on Twitter like how she refers to her ex-sister um, uh, has g- gone viral saying something about her or um, but I didn't know anything about her brother um, I knew her mum was a singer but then uh, you know I didn't even know that she doesn't even refer to her as her mum anymore she's just Pat and that right. is so heartbreaking um, yeah. and it's just the uh, you get you get a bit of money and your family just wants a piece of it and uh, they'll do anything they can um, yeah really uh, it was definitely eye-opening um, and uh, a real wow what a history I mean Yeah, I had no idea the extent to which her mom had sort of just been the weirdest mom ever, I guess. I don't want to, you know, tarnish her name because I don't know her, but some of the choices her mom made, I'm just like, wow. Listen, a lot of it is kind of understandable, okay? A diva, giving birth to a diva there's gonna be like not there doesn't have to be jealousy there but it's like it's a 
the, the equation is that there might be some jealousy there. And um, Mariah was extremely successful at an extremely early age. Um, and yeah, it didn't sit right with her mother. And uh, Mariah, Mariah's jokey character, like in, in doing her the impression of her, her mum in the back of the car, and then her mum just uh completely takes it the wrong way and um it was that was the tipping that was the turning point she said it was like from that moment on she realized that um yeah she's more of pat rather than a mother figure and uh yeah really um, um messed up but yeah um apart from that um i i guess uh i learned a lot about her writing process and uh, the songs that i'm familiar with i got to then listen back to them and because she explains the stories behind the songs um and these aren't just songs that she's making up these these are autobiographical and like this sounds really weird but I kind of related to her because if anyone doesn't know I make memes <laughs> um but yes, I, you make the best memes on the internet that is a huge statement and um you just continue uh, to knock it out of the park over and over again with your memes it's amazing well wow my goodness thank you molly um no I, i enjoy doing i enjoy making people laugh i always have um but i my one rule of thumb is that it has to be uh from my experience it's if it's not an authentic experience like um in the past i'd like do a cheap meme because i know it would probably make people laugh about sugar daddies and stuff but like you won't see me doing that these days because unless I do I am lucky enough to get a sugar daddy I might start um, <laughs> producing some sugar daddy memes but I, I want to do things that even if today um, I'm not I don't work in an office anymore but I have done my time in an office job I would quite comfortably make a meme about office work nine to five life because I've been there and I've lived it um, so uh, what I what am I saying yeah the songs um, always come from her lived experience and um, even well the early songs about love she does admittedly say these were um, fantasy love uh, relationships um, even her first husband she didn't love him so she was writing songs about these fantasy boyfriends obviously there's the song fantasy um but yeah, uh, so I definitely related to her and also the fact that she um, uses a lot of samples from artists that uh, inspire her and uh, or uh, some music samples from um, well-known tracks that uh, would go with the vibe of the song. Um, and I just I'm making this whole podcast about me. I um, no, you're making such good points, but I relate to it because I can. Uh, all what what are memes? I do steal things from Real Housewives and pop culture, and I turn it into something else. So I feel like the content I use could be translated as those are the samples that I'm using, and then making putting a spin on it to make it relatable and funny. Maybe editing it a bit and making it into, and then my memes are like my little songs. <laughs> that is so true, and it's so postmodern, and I love it. I love that you have compared it to that because yeah, this new type of songwriting that I I think it's safe to say Mariah was a pioneer of using samples and chopping them up and everything it is very memetic it is like of the meme persuasion and I just really never thought of it before and that's great and I love that you say you you used to make memes that you 
might not have rung so true for you. I've been having that conversation with myself recently with like all of my material and stuff that I do for stand up and just like even tweets and everything. I'm like had to like I do this thing where it's called morning pages where you write three pages in the day from the artist's way, which is this ridiculous book on creativity. It's like a self-help book, which is like something else I've really gotten into during quarantine. But so I was even writing to myself this morning saying I have to before I do anything, I have to have a conversation with myself where I'm like, is this hack or is this coming from me? Because like I do that too. Like I'll post things that are easy, that are hack because I'm like, I know this is at least going to get like a hundred likes, or I know this is at least going to get shared around a little. And then I feel dirty for like a week. That I know that dirty feeling. I know it. Um, but here's the thing. It'll get a hundred likes, but the real stuff, the authentic stuff, the original uh, content, that's going to get 10 times more the likes because it's something that really will speak to people um, and not just in a, yeah, a superficial, uh, hacky way. Um, yeah. Oh, my God, we're relating on all cylinders today. I love it. Yeah. And it and those likes are more genuine and it gets passed around more because people want to share it with someone else because they can tell that it's authentic. And that is the whole thing with Mariah, her music is so authentic to the point where I sometimes, when I first would hear her music when I was younger, sometimes it made me uncomfortable because it was a little bit too emotion driven and like schmaltzy almost, but it made me really happy to see, not happy, I guess, but just, it was interesting to see that she felt that way about some of her earlier stuff too. Like the stuff, like the song Hero, she said that she really barely even wanted it because she wrote it for Gloria Estefan and uh, Tommy Mottola, her first husband, was like, no, you need to keep it because it's going to be a hit. And she was like, oh, but it's so cringe. And now she's like, I do like it because people love it and it makes them happy. But like she herself even was like this. This song is just a little bit too um, syrupy, I guess. And I love how she wrote it when she went um, to the bathroom. <laughs> she just went to the bathroom and uh, I guess was in the bathroom stall and just the song hero just comes to her. I mean, she is a genius. Like the, And then it happened again later on in the book, like the producer she was working with was packing up and about to leave and she, she just suddenly got this melody and this song and she said, wait, I need to work out work this out with you and they worked with her and, and she produced another song and she's just got so much in her and I believe she's got so much more in her as well and um, it's truly, I mean, she does get religious in the book which I can't relate to um, because I'm not a religious person. But um, if I was, I would say she is kind of like this God-gifted uh, person. And I like that she uh, started out as a child saying, I'm going to be a success. And then she did become a success. And through bloody hard work, I mean, earlier in the book, we have her um, walking through the streets of New York in her mum's hand-me-down shoes that are so worn that they they got um, holes in and she got like wet feet but she'd still go to her job and like no one could see her from the waist down because she's behind the counter and that so she has hustled and I, I appreciate that and I guess I didn't really realise how much of her story was truly rags to riches I mean when you hear someone who's got an opera singer mum you just sort of assume that all opera singers are just rich deep 
believers. I don't know. I assume that it's sort of like it's quite to me. It seems like quite a privileged um, profession um, where you would have probably come from money to get to go to the uh, music school and all that. But no, they lived in, as Mariah called it, a shack. Um, and that, so that was definitely eye-opening eye to me. Yeah, I loved that one line where she said the shack was at the end of a cul-de-sac with a really big mansion across from it. And it looked like the mansion had belched out the shack. I loved that. But yeah, I had also all, always sort of assumed that she came from maybe not privilege, but upper middle class because I had also I knew her mom was an opera singer and I had seen photos of her mom and I had seen her mom appearing on Oprah with her and stuff like that they sang a duet on Oprah in the 90s yeah. so her and her mom was always so well put together and she was so beautiful and I just assumed yeah like you said that they were probably a little bit more affluent but yeah her mom was basically unemployed I guess for most of her life and she, her parents got a divorce when she was three and they sort of moved around a lot. And her mom was just this really bohemian hippie lady who, you know, she wouldn't comb Mariah's hair. And Mariah has a whole chapter about what her, what that meant to her and how that affected her. The fact that her mom didn't know how to style her hair as a biracial child. And that is just like, you know, devastating as a kid. And it just kind of makes you wonder if her mom really, thought very deeply about what it meant that she was raising a biracial child on Long Island in in predominantly white areas, you know? It's just, I, I wanted to hear, I am curious about what her mom's thought process was. And she said on, Mariah said on Watch What Happens Live that she isn't sure what her mom thinks about the book and she hopes that her mom reads it and feels like it's accurate. Yeah, that's interesting about accuracy and how much you trust everything that Mariah is saying to be to be true. Um, first off, I just have to say that um, Mariah didn't write this book for anyone who knows. M Michaela Angela Davis was the one who put pen to paper and produced this book. Um, they did. I was just listening to a podcast um, called The Mariah Report in which um, Michaela Angela Davis is interviewed. Um, and she would go to Mariah's penthouse um, apartment in New York, go in the Moroccan room. And uh, that's how Mariah would relay all these stories to her. Um, and it, they worked on it for about three years. And then Michaela um, went away and uh, just boshed it all out. The way this is written is so good. Like, I'm not a, a, a literary critic, but this is a standalone like not even as a celebrity memoir like in its own category this is a really well written book um I mean I finished it on the plane last night I was weeping <laughs> that last um Christmas scene where she gets the Christmas she's always dreamed of um and she said she she finally she broke the cycle I think that's the word wording she used um and she described how her children's lives were so joyful um but how they were going to understand their heritage. And that's something, and I think that's kind of neglect is where, her, you know, her mom, she she knows that her dad is black, that Mariah's dad is black. Um, she knows that she's raising a mixed race child. Um, to not do the work with learning how to manage black hair is that's neglect to me I mean I'm just for anyone who doesn't know I'm white so this whole 
um, these whole chapters about hair and growing up um, uh, not just black, but mixed race. Um, she's very much an outsider. No one knew what to do with her. No one knew what box to put her in. That heartbreaking bit about those uh, mean girls from school driving her out to work the Hamptons simply to torture her, yeah. to take her into a room and call her the N-word repeatedly. Just horrific. Um, sorry, I'm rambly. I could talk about this book. <laughs> no, I know. it's. There are so many instances in her childhood where you, it seems like someone's going to cut her a break and someone's going to be there for her. And then they just betray her so spectacularly. And it's terrible. It's so sad. It just makes you wonder how she has any lightness left in her at all. Like the part with her mom's boyfriend, who was a really, really nice guy for the most part, but he was a Vietnam War veteran and he had PTSD. And one day he just kind of lost it. And she said he was sitting with a gun and he, or it was either a gun or a knife. And he said to Mariah and her mom, I'm going to chop you guys up and keep you in the freezer so you can never leave. And then she, her mom is like, okay, we got to get out of here. So they run out and, Mariah's like, I need my cat. And her mom is like, okay, run back in and grab it with this guy who is clearly not well and has a weapon and has just threatened both of them. It's just like, lady, what are you thinking? I mean, that I'm so glad she's setting up this film project that she's doing around this book because that is just like a, a film, a scene from a film. I mean, I, I'd actually forgotten about that part of the book. I guess I blacked it out because it was just crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was a loaded gun. He's <laughs> sitting in the dark with a loaded gun in the kitchen. And uh, yeah. Bless Mariah, talking of her animals, even the, um, yeah, so she, the the lightness that she has, so the sense of humour was, uh, in her early life, a defence mechanism, and um, what Michaela was saying on this podcast I was just listening to, now that she, Mariah, did you watch the Oprah interview? I didn't watch the whole thing, I watched the beginning part of it. Okay, so the end of it, um, Oprah says, uh, can you have, um, Give us one word to describe how you feel now that this book is out there. And Mariah said she did think about it and she said freer. So she, when she first set out to write this book, she wanted to uh, emancipate the girl inside her, like her, her childhood self. And she really feels like that's what's happened and she feels freer. And Michaela said on his podcast where she used to use humour as a defence mechanism, she now just... She doesn't have to. She's just funny because she's funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there are some laugh out loud moments in this book and there's some really intricate shade. Um, there's this one part where she's obviously talking about J-Lo. Um, she says, um, so I gradually overcame that dark time that my family had dragged me through. And after all that S-H-I-T, Loverboy ended up being the best-selling single of 2001 in the United States. I'm real. Yeah. <laughs> I gasped when I read that. And that's just one example of some really subtle um, shade. And it's just a wink to us because um, we, we adore her, that side of her. 
Um, like, uh, listen, I don't believe she wishes death on J-Lo or Nicki Minaj or anyone. So I think she enjoys playing into that. Um, but yeah, very funny. Yeah, for listeners who may not know, the reason why her whole I don't know her thing with J-Lo is such an enduring feud is because after her divorce from Tommy Mottola, she had this, it was really important that Glitter do well and that Loverboy, her first album off of Sony, which was Tommy Mottola's record label, do well. And she believes that Tommy Mottola sabotaged her. And one of the ways that she believes he did that is that he, she had this single all teed up and ready to go with Ja Rule and Tommy Mottola knew that somehow and he released J-Lo's song I'm Real with Ja Rule on Sony like a couple months before her song was due to come out. So he basically ruined the launch for her of that single just so that she wouldn't be able to do well without him. And the link is that they both used, so Tommy heard her use this sample um, mm-hmm. via Cracker and just stole it and went and, and put it on J-Lo's record just to, to you know, tick Mariah off. And uh, yeah, very petty, very, uh, so in her, her song, um, uh, Side Effects, she, um, there's a lyric that says, um, thought you were strong, turned out you were weak. He is a weak little man. I know. I... Can we talk about I mean, so the thing is, the thing with abusive people is you can't get inside their head because they're not normal. But it's so hard to understand what he was thinking and why he acted that way. And then to go and write in his own memoir that he knows the relationship was inappropriate. That's the word he used, which is like, what? Inappropriate? I guess he's just talking about the age difference because their relationship started when she was 19 and he was in his 40s, I think, right? And they got married when she was 23 and he was 40-something. So Listen, inappropriate. He should be on a list. He should be on a, 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 a you know, abusive relationship list, if abu- abusers list. Like, you know, he should have faced serious consequences to what he did to her. Um, Mm. But it's just, you know, money talks um, and that weird butter knife incident. I don't even know what the hell he was trying to do. That was so Um, weird. And the other two men at the table did nothing. And she definitely calls that out in in that passage. Um, Yeah, I mean, I sort of joked that Mariah Carey call, refers to Storybook Manor as a prison, you know, Sing Sing, as she um, refers to it. But I, there were points where I just really, I really sort of struggled to sympathise with her. Which was sort of like, and I just needed to escape. So I went into my huge bathroom with marbles and I felt the cool marble under my feet and I lit the candles and ran a bath and I just... It's just like, lock me up, please. Like, I would love to have that life. But um, no, like, all jokes aside, I understand that um, that bathroom was literally a sanctuary, sanctuary to her just because it didn't have any cameras or recording equipment in there that she knew of. Um, right. So it must, it, I can't imagine, it must have been awful. And the, oh my goodness, the intercom, where she's just trying to sneak out to have a cup of tea in the middle of the night. What are you doing on the intercom? Um, yeah, it must have been just awful. But yeah, there were times where she was describing this, this palatial um, home that she built um, exactly to her specifications. And I just uh, was like, mm, Mariah, you're really not <laughs> giving me enough to sympathise with. And on the contrast, 
the way she described the shack that her mum lived in before she built her mum a house. Um, she was like, and I just paced around the kitchen, which was three, maybe five steps. <laughs> like, I just, that, that sort of shade. And she, the way she was describing the, like, um, the stained walls and everything, I was just thinking in my head, like, was it really like that? Or is Mar- Mariah just, like, throwing some shade here? Um, so, yeah, I wanted to ask you, do you believe everything in this book? That's such a good question. I believe... I do believe everything is accurate from her perspective because just because so much is left out. That was my one big issue with this book, which I agree was so well written and I loved it and I really enjoyed reading it. But I just wanted so many more details about things like the James Packer engagement, which is just not there. The drama with Eminem is just not there. Why did she not mention Vera Wang by name when she was talking about her first wedding dress? Like, what's the story there? Clearly something must have happened, you know? Oh, my goodness. Molly King Edmonds. That is a <laughs> that is a really good spot. I didn't even think of that. That's wow. Yeah. What's the beef with Vera? Right. She um, never mentions Beyonce by name, but she mentions Jay-Z many times, which I found really interesting. Not to say there's that means there's any drama between them, but it's just like w- there were so many things where I just had so many more questions. And I wanted to hear more about what it was like to go from being someone who had one pair of shoes and like three shirts or whatever she said to being someone who lived in Storybook Manor in this $40 million house. There was no, I wanted to know more about the reality of that, of being so intensely ragged to riches in such a short amount of time. Oh, literally six months. Yeah. She had, she had multiple Grammys. And yeah, that must have, that must really mess with your head um, just to go from, uh, yeah, literally rags to riches. Um, yeah, so the uh, that was on Twitter recently. It, they were she was asked. I actually haven't read this article yet. Was it for the Guardian? Um, she was asked why isn't um, this billionaire you were engaged mm. to featured? And she's she pretty much said something like uh, this: this book only focuses on the relationships in her life that mattered. Um, and uh, she that really wasn't. I mean, she sued him for wasting her time. That which was quite, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> That was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I kind of, I can see that. Like, if I'm writing a book that's going to be there forever and this is my work and my baby, do I want people that I, you know, do I, do I want people that um, didn't really um, contribute that much to my life or, like, wasting my time or just, try, yeah, like Eminem, I guess, what's the ins and outs of that beef? She, he tried to make out like he, um, they were sleeping with each other um, and she was denying it. And then obviously she wrote, she did that music video to Obsessed, which is hilarious where she dresses yeah. up as Eminem. As Eminem. Um, I think she briefly alludes to not wanting to be seen as um, dating rappers, um, which I guess that sort of touches that. She's talking about the Eminem stuff there. But yeah, no, there is so much that's mm-hmm. missed out, which makes me think that there's a possibility for another book. Um, yeah, there's definitely to- enough on the table for that, I feel, yeah. that didn't make it in. And yeah, I just think this is why, like, this book is great and I loved reading it, but this is why we also need unauthorized biographies in the world because 
it, there is so much left out. And if you wanted to get a full picture of her life from, you know, an objective perspective, you would need that because I think what do you, when she's talking about the breakdown, which she says it wasn't a breakdown, she was broken down. That was another part where I remember because I lived through seeing all of the nasty press about her at the time. But if you didn't know about that, you wouldn't really know the full extent of what people were saying, you know? I don't remember it. I don't know what I was paying attention to at the time. I was probably just more invested in um, British pop stars and pop culture. Um, I, I don't know. But I uh, obviously Mariah Carey, she's always been um, like... She was a star when I was born. So it's like she's when when you have people who were famous before you got on the planet, they're always just there. It's just like the sun and the moon. They're there. You accept them. Oh, yeah, that's Mariah Carey. There's not like a time. I think you asked me in that on on the first time I was on your podcast. It was like, when was the first time you um, focused on Mariah Carey? I don't know, because she's always been a superstar um, as long as I've lived. But yeah. Um, So the breakdown bit. Yeah. I mean, that was really harrowing and uh the she said this was before the self-care revolution um this is before everyone knew the importance of sleep and uh nutrition and I love how she calls going to the gym body work <laughs> it's like yeah I'm gonna use that from now on I'm not going for a workout I'm gonna go and do some body work um, <laughs> but uh so they was just treating her like a machine and it just sounded from the way she's she puts it it just sounded awful and she had to escape to hotels but then even then she couldn't escape because I guess the person on reception for whatever reason called her management and told her she was there um right yeah that just sounded like a total nightmare um and I was thinking like because there was there were so many people outside the door including her mom and her brother what is there something she's not telling us there was she going to that hotel room for some right for some sinister thing she said she was going there just to get um five minutes rest but was there more to that that we're just supposed to join the dots in our head yeah in the new york post article about that time period they interviewed a bunch of people that worked at the tribeca grand at that time which I don't even know if she mentions it by name. I guess she didn't because she, yeah, they clearly kind of went to the press and answered questions about her. So she's probably like, I'm never staying there or giving you free press again. Too right. Yeah. So apparently she was breaking dishes and stuff in a common area or something. And I think she was kind of freaking out. And that was probably why they revealed where she was I think she was having a little bit of a Luann Deliceps moment where she was just in the hotel and she was in a bad mood and I think she was being slightly dis- disruptive and they just assumed the worst and decided to call her people and tell them because I think she stayed there a lot so I guess they had they had her emergency contact information from past yeah. days. Maybe. I guess that's what I was touching on when it's kind of like, this is one of the parts of the book where it's like, I, I'm not seeing the full story here. Like um, you don't just have your mom, your brother and all your management team hammering on your door. Um, there was, there's something that we're not seeing. Uh, we're, we're not getting the full picture, but then, um, you know, it's her book. Like she, yeah. she could put it however she wants to. Um, and during this time period, this is when she 
was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which I found really interesting that she did yes. not say yes. that in the book. She calls and- it something else. Um, or maybe it's like the, maybe it was another diagnosis on top of her bipolar. It was uh, um, oh, soma something, somatization. Which yeah. I meant to read. I meant to look up what that was. Let's do it together. What is somatization? Hit me. It um, is I guess a it tendency was- to experience and communicate psychological distress in the form of somatic symptoms and seek medical help for them. So I guess it's like when you have panic attacks that are manifesting physically or something like that. So it's just when you have some sort of psychological issue that's manifesting in a physical way. Okay. I mean, yeah. So we got little little scraps, but we didn't get the full, I, I have bipolar um, disorder. Well, I suppose she did that. She did a cover on People magazine or whatever. So she's she's told that story. So, but... Yeah, and I like the the way she described the the rehab facility that they put her in just sounded awful. It just didn't sound right that Mariah Carey was in there. Um, so yeah, it was straight out of Valley of the Dolls. I didn't like it at all, and like how that you know her her city was burning, and she was just in this um, facility watching it on a little TV with all these um, with all these people who were, and I, I sort of, it was so haunting the way um, she heard people outside the door. Well, she heard a mop mopping the floor and then people whispering outside that Mariah Carey was in that room. And that was just really creepy to me. Yeah, because her brother, what was her brother doing? Why was he sending her to this crappy place? Because they were trying to, here's the thing, they were trying to do what's actually happened to Britney is right, to get her under, under a, conser- an, a conservatorship so that they can have full, it's all about money, so that they can have full control of her, her, inco- her outgoings and money. Um, they were trying to prove that she wasn't capable um, of uh, managing things like money and and her business. And um, yeah, they were trying to take full control because he did it twice. He put her in two facilities. So he was he was really on a mission. Um, nasty guy. And, and, you know, I don't I don't the way she's put it. Like, I don't know if her brother writes an autobiography. We might get another story. But um, the way she's put it, I fully agree with the therapist about reframing how she sees um what did she what did he say recast your show or re yeah. rewrite characters You're which I found, characters. I found really useful <laughs> like I, I I put that straight in my toolbox um <laughs> you just reframe them as this is my ex-brother now um but the way that she doesn't she doesn't refer to Pat as her ex-mother she's still there's still the umbilical cord has not been snipped and you know that's why she bought her this grand house were you was I can't be the only one who was reading that whole thing that whole description of her uh, building this house and setting it up just right and having all the photos in there and making this um it's a surprise reveal to her mum that this is her house were you expecting her mum to reject the house I was yes yes a hundred percent. I was like, her mom is going to fly into a jealous rage that her daughter was able to do this. But I guess that's where her mom's jealousy ends and her practicality of being like, I don't want to get a job. So I'm going to take this freebie begins, you know, she treats the house appallingly. Like she, when Mariah goes back during her breakdown, because she, she, there was the child in her wanted to go to her mom and thought this would be a safe haven. She goes in and she said it smelled like dogs and there was uh, like dishes um, all piling up. And I was just like, if I had bought my mom at this house, like, I don't know, it reminded me of the relationship Candy Burris has with her mom, with Mama Joyce, um, a <laughs> lot, actually. Um, 
the 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 stuff Candy puts up with with her mom, um, just and just blindly defends her just because she's her mom. I reckon there is there is uh, something there that um, Mariah just can't let go. I mean, that's why I was I fa- I did find Mariah to be full of contradictions because then later on in the book she had her performing a duet with her, um, which I wanted to look up on YouTube. Um, so yeah, it. And then, oh, and then I brought my mum to all these award shows and uh, and then, oh my goodness, that political gala oh. where her mum just completely made a fool out of herself and an embarrassment. And yeah, what does she scream in the, in, in the, in the dressing room? I hate my daughter. Yeah, because her, because Mariah was like, please don't get drunk and talk about politics with these people at this White House awards dinner. And then her mom did exactly that. It's insane. I don't know how she forgave her mom for calling the cops on her because that is why she was institutionalized is because her mom called the cops on her. And she has this great quote about it where she says, it didn't matter that I was Mariah Carey because my mom was a white woman who claimed to be in distress. And the cops, she spoke the cops language. Her mom was from that culture. That's what she said that like, oh, yeah, the way it's phrased. Michaela is just such a great writer. You know, she doesn't write books. She's she's a writer of, uh, she's a magazine. You know, she does interviews. She interviews wow. people. Like that. This is the first book that she's written. Um, and yeah, it's such a feat. But, um, well, actually, scrap that. I don't know if it's the first book that she's written, but she's not a writer is what I'm saying from what I gather from the podcast I, I just listened to. Anyway, the way she put it is... Um, and her mother exchanged a glance with the with these white police officers and it was like a language that only white people know and um it was just in that one look the the cops they knew everything they needed to know and um so mariah just didn't resist arrest thank god because you know mm-hmm. we all know what that could lead to um but that is just unf- yeah how do you forgive that just absolutely evil like I don't even know if that sounds a bit dramatic but just how could you do that to your daughter I mean I don't have kids but you know I just imagine (sighs) it is crazy it's just like her mom kind of failed her from the time that she was born because I don't think her mom was up to the task of figuring out how to raise a bi- raise three biracial children in a way that was not going to be traumatic or that was going to be as not traumatic as possible. And she just continues throughout her life to just fall short of literally providing the basics that a mother should provide of just, you know, a soft place to land and a shoulder to cry on. She just can't even do that for her. It's... Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Mariah herself in the book... Um propose proposes that um did she have kids marry this black man and have kids with him just to get at her parents right Um, like was she i I, mariah just considers that she might not have had kids because she actually wanted to have kids it was just a, a gotcha for her conservative um white irish um family i don't know why i threw irish in there but mariah mentions it it might be significant but yeah yeah it's like Um, thing in the u.s we right. think we okay. we're from the countries that <laughs> we're not yeah. really <laughs> and she does it's it's so it's so crazy this book came this year um because it, she's really she really it's really educational for me as a white person about the the caste system of race and in where she was growing up in long island is that it mm-hmm. where it was like 
there are tears even among the white people, but then black is the lowest of the low. And um, my goodness. Yeah. And she's uh, she touches so many people because so she was one of the first people who represented that kind of in between this mixed race superstar. And that's how a lot of her fans first connected with her because they were their mixed race themselves or even just anything other um, they can relate to her. And um, one thing I, I always knew she loved her fans, but she loves her fan. Like it's a, tr- it's a thing. Um, this isn't just some superficial, I love you guys. This is a, she knows some of her fans by name and uh, consider them to be friends and yeah that's part of, I mean that's part of the reason why I was just weeping at the end it's just a lot of this book is a love letter to her fans yeah she is one of the only celebrities who says that she prefers the social media age to the old way of doing things which I found really fascinating because celebrities love to complain about social media and I mean we all do because it's such a double-edged sword it's you know it can be a source of connection and it can be a source of horrific abuse and bullying obviously so but most of the time when you hear celebrities talk about it they're like oh it's full of trolls it's so bad blah 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 but mariah says finally i have a direct line to my fans through social media because she is someone who took such a beating from the press before social media right before social media became a thing you know they they had pictures of her on the cover of the new york post coming back from that terrible rehab she went to and They just, everyone was on her. I remember Perez Hilton was on her all the time. You know, it was just like, and she had no way of talking to her fans. She had a website where she would write notes to her fans, but those were very misinterpreted. There were, I found a story in the New York Post that, that has excerpts of the letters, the notes to her fans that she alludes to that were during the time of her breakdown and it does make sense that people were concerned, but the issue is that that concern manifested itself as really nasty, evil press coverage, you know. That was really interesting to, to look at um, having your own social media. Like, I, always, I always find it a bit weird when celebrities celebrate follower milestones like oh my god I just hit 100 million followers it's like okay why do you care but they care because this is their they control it um I don't know sometimes it's their management that controls it whatever but these these are the people who are really there's their voice behind it um they control the narrative and Mariah said and it's just it's rendered the in her words it's rendered the um the tabloid industry just useless and uh, which is true a lot of the tabloid articles are about stuff that these celebrities have posted on the social media so it's just yeah I, I really enjoy I, I it, that felt cathartic to me that she's um she's now got this um tool to connect to the Lamely um yeah without uh the pre- I mean god I'm a Britney Spears super fan like I know how awful the press can be to people um so yeah that was really yeah really interesting I loved the chapter about Divas Live where she talks about Celine Dion and she doesn't name Celine Dion but we all know it was Celine Dion at that VH1 Divas show trying to outsing Aretha Franklin at the Aretha Franklin tribute that was crazy I went back and rewatched it and I was just like what was she thinking yep 
that was so good and she's just like she went back to her comfort zone of back backing singers um yeah I had no idea she had an affair with Derek Jeter no idea I was reading it and I was like she because there's that that shady line about his shoes where she's like he had pointy shoes on so I wasn't really interested so good. I thought that was gonna be the end of it I thought that was something else was gonna happen at the party but then it turns out that they had this long affair and it was just so sweet and cute and I love that and I kind of do I left that feeling like DJ was the one that got away I know she seems like sad about him still when she gets asked about him I saw an interview with her from about four years ago where I think it was also on watch what happens live and Andy was like so what happened with Derek Jeter and she's just like yeah he got married to someone else and it's fine and like blah 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 I just yeah I wish that they had worked out I love the chapter about her and Nick Cannon and one of the trends that I noticed throughout all of the people that she's dated is a lot of them were fans first which is hilarious and amazing she's just like are you a fan of me okay then we can talk you know yeah which is a lot of the time I think it's the opposite isn't it like no one wants to oh I don't want to date a fan but yeah that just goes to show how she really um values her fans and uh if you yeah okay you know where you're a fan okay you can sit at the table because I get you we get each other um yeah, that was uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he had posters of her up on her wall, his wall. And um, yeah. And I like, I mean, it did sound like a horrible divorce. Like even with a prenup, that that surprised me. I don't know the ins and outs of marriage and prenups, but two years and um, it got quite nasty. But then I like that they're both um, civil and can still um, uh, give their children somewhat of a family unit and uh yeah so I yeah this is another reason why I need an unauthorized biography as well because she does any of the insane stuff that she and Nick Cannon did together when they were married and it's just so fun they they renewed their vows every single year that they were married do you remember that they they went they rented out like all of Disneyland one year Another year, they went to the top of the Eiffel Tower. They would have a new wedding every single year that they were married. That's so extra. So, Mariah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I know. It's so good. It's, like, ridiculous. But, yeah, this is what I need, like, a scrapbook to go with this that shows Mm -hmm. all the extra insane stuff. Because, yeah, I was watching The Fabulous Life. Did you guys have that show over here? Uh, maybe, but I grew up without cable. That's my rags to riches story. So I didn't, have, <laughs> I didn't have MTV to watch. What? And now you're like the swami of cable memes. How did you do that? When did you get cable? Wait, uh, the, I use um, on demand um, for my memes from like housewives and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you just never, ha- you just never had it until you were an adult. No, I guess, um, yeah, I'd go around my friend's house to watch um, MTV and stuff, um, who had Sky, um, as we have it, call it here. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't really have that. We just had like five channels. <laughs> wow. And look at you now. Oh, my God. How far I've come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is killing it. She's just such a character. She's really the best. And she is only getting better and better as she I'm not going to say ages because she doesn't age obviously she doesn't have birthdays but as Molly, her- I love that you've blossomed into a lamb <laughs> since I've met you I love this 
I am. I'm just loving her more and more because she. Same. I'm she's... obsessed. Like she's the only thing I think about when I wake up um, and when I go to bed. Like I just, I also want because I've only been listening to going back and listening to her, her songs. Some of them, I'll admit, for the first time because I'm, you know, I was a baby when all of this stuff came out, and um, I'm only now really becoming a Mariah Carey super fan. And I'm going back into the songs, and I would, I, she describes a song in the book. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go and listen to that. But I want to have a big like storybook manner house where I've got big speakers and I could just play it and just live it and um you know watch the sun come up as she doesn't she describes it really well when she's recording in the Bahamas and she just finished the emancipation of Mimi and it's the sun's coming up and she just opens her French windows and just enjoys the moment and yeah I really want to experience it by um with big speakers that's my craving these days but anyway yeah as you can tell I'm obsessed at the moment but um yeah so no she doesn't have birthdays but as she gets older she's as she evolves yeah evolves there you go she gets more and more um vocal and um I liked I did like her just saying Biden Harris (laughs) you know yeah it was great it's great I just love it she can do no wrong and I think she's coming to a place where you know earlier in her career when she first came out obviously she was married to Tommy Mottola who was one of the most powerful people in the music industry and the entertainment industry at large so he sort of controlled the narrative around her I'm sure in the press in addition to controlling her actual life and then after she broke up with him is when she had her sort of PR fiasco of the breakdown and everything where people were really unfair to her and they were not being sympathetic to her and I think she's come out on the other side and now she's just gonna be a staple of the A plus list for the rest of her life and I'm just really excited to see it she's like at an Oprah level now right hundred percent. And she and the general public. So we're fans. We're we're lambs. So we get it. But she needs um, to have respect put on her name. She needs to be in the every Hall of Fame. She needs every accolade. Um, she needs to be um, known. Like I want to walk up to someone random in the street and say Mariah Carey. And I want the first thing to say is songwriter. Yes. You know. People, she shadily describes J-Lo as an entertainer in the book. But people, I feel like the main, the perception is that Mariah is an entertainer, you know, to Joe Schmo on the street. But um, I would, I I would personally love to see it in my lifetime where she's really recognized as a songwriter, the same way these men are. Exactly. And the fact that she is, she's the only artist who's had a number one in four consecutive decades. I mean, that just, I just get chills thinking about that. So proud to be a lamb. Yeah. I mean, and she is looking so much better than these men who are still out there performing. And yes, you you put it really well on the last podcast. It was such a good clip about, um, like Rolling Stones or whatever, (laughs) looking like then the Grim Reaper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She looks fab. Okay. Here's a diva moment. Um, I couldn't get out of my contract, so I flew to Japan and talked to the head of Sony. Yes, <laughs> that is the best. That was the best. Such a power move. I loved it. Yeah, that was so good. And she referred to him very respectfully as Mr. I forget what his last name was. Was it Ago or something? Right. And I feel like she was probably in the room for like a minute, probably. And he just, obviously, these 
powerful business people, they get it and he put the wheels in motion and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. The really interesting thing about divas in general is that who gets called a diva has so much to do with classism and work. It's really weird because if you think about the royal family, for an example, no one would ever call someone who's born into the royal family a diva. They never call the queen a diva, even though she doesn't do a single thing for herself. You know, she has servants for everything, but they call Meghan Markle a diva because she was racism. Yeah, it's racism and it's classism and it's like the people who marry in and like they would say that about Princess Diana and stuff too. It's just like so many different factors for what and it's because Meghan Markle had a job. It's like the people who get called divas are the people who go from rags to riches and the people who are doing a job most of the time. So I think that's part of the reason why people get so angry that Mariah is you know, quote unquote, demanding. It's racism, it's classism, and it's this weird anxiety around women doing work for themselves and being in charge of their own destiny, you know? Preach on it. That's <laughs> great. I mean, yeah, what a soundbite. I mean, Molly, I couldn't have put it better. That's, yeah, that's such a good, um, that's, that is a hot take. And um, yeah, I couldn't have praised it like that. So thank you for that um thank you yeah well well, I liked her I really obviously I find her um her connection um to Marilyn Monroe really endearing um and also um just her brief lock locking eyes with Princess Diana when when they did were in the same room together she just saw in that split second we're the same like we've just we don't get a second to yourself you're surrounded by people all the time and um it was really interesting that Mariah said God, I, I wish Princess Diana had Instagram um, so she could uh, connect to her fa- to, to the people who, who follow her and um, tell her story. And um, uh, um, no, yeah. that was mind blowing to me, too, that they were famous enough at the same time to mm-hmm. have met eyes across a room because they just seem so different. But they are both iconic 90s figures. But, you know, it's true. Mariah has transcended the 90s like Tommy Mottola said she never would. I'm so proud of her for that. So proud. Yeah, I feel it. I Yeah, it was great. It was a great book. And I was so happy to have you on to talk about it. Oh, honestly, this has given me so much serotonin. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is the dopamine hit that I'm going to ride on all day. Um, yeah, so no, this has been such great chat. And I've been really wanting to talk about it because I'm there sat on the plane reading my book. I work on planes. But I was sat reading my book, weeping. And I just wanted to talk to someone about it, but no one gets it. Um, I always find when I talk about Mariah Carey, or even if they see the book cover, it's a joke to them. It's sort of like, oh, <laughs> Mariah Carey. Um, it's similar to... Again, bringing it back to other parallels in my life. When I talk about Housewives, oh, oh yeah, what are you watching at the moment? Oh yeah, I'm just still watching Housewives, and they, they laugh, and it's like, no, I, this isn't a game. I'm this is serious. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, I, I get, I do get quite frustrated, um, but yeah, so no, it's great to speak to someone who gets it, you know. Yeah, she really needs to get way more respect. And I think it's happening. I think she's gonna, she is coming into the place that, you know, some of the older grand dam divas have left behind. She is assuming that role. And it's the role she was born to play. I mean, literally, though, 
Yeah, she's been like this since MTV Cribs, since that MTV Cribs episode, you know? Iconic, by the way. If there's if there's one thing you do after listening to this podcast, please go and look up MTV Cribs. I'm assuming it's on YouTube. Um, it's not. I had to no? go. In Daily Motion. Of, <laughs> yes, it was on Daily Motion. I tweeted. I was like, I am about to fry every appliance in my house downloading <laughs> this on the dark web. Like, I'm going to get go on the Silk Road and find this episode of Cribs. Where is it? And in two minutes, a lamb who runs a fan account tweeted. I was like, are you just sitting here searching all day Mariah Carey Cribs to Probably. send a link? Probably. <laughs> and like, I love you for it. So they sent me this link and I ended up finding one that had like Japanese subtitles, but it was the full episode. So it was very gratifying to watch. And I want to rewatch the reality show too. I just want more of Mariah on camera. I want to get like not, not the best era for us as lambs because that was the Stella era where her manager was with Stella. But I, yeah, I want to go back and watch um, uh, that era um, that uh, she calls it a documentary series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and thankfully that is on, on my on-demand. On demand. Um, so anyone out there, just go get Hey You. It is on the, Hey You? It's on Hey You, yeah. Oh my God, I'm literally going to watch it right now. She's just so good on camera. She is one yeah. of the most entertaining people. Oh, she's w- one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah. 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 Here he is. Yes. And another silver lining in the book was seeing, and you already knew this because you can tell she's got a lot of friends, but just seeing how many friends she has and the way that they rally around her when she Fight or die. Yeah, that made me really happy. Debrat, I had no idea her friendship with Debrat went so deep and that made me so happy too. Yeah. I love that we we got the similar experiences reading this book. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Molly. This has been um, a true pleasure, as always. Um, yeah. Thank you. Some people think Diva is a diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <laughs> of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.